Heavenly Father, we come to you, Lord, and we know that you are our rock, our fortress. And just as you did in King David's life, as he shared so many times in his Psalms, you have delivered him. You rescued him in the time of trouble, and you've rescued us. Father, help us to remember what kind of God you are as we open your word now and look into your heart. In this we pray and ask in our Lord Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Would you take your Bibles with me this morning and turn with me to 1 John chapter 3. We're continuing our series here, 1 John chapter 3. I titled the message this morning, The Father's Heart. The Father's Heart. Because we want to, as we consider Father's Day and we think of our dad's, uh, some of us have wonderful memories of growing up with a loving father, but many have not experienced a loving father. Many have just experienced uh, a father who is a disciplinarian. You can never please him. You felt you could never please him. You never heard him say, I love you. And I've heard that numbers of times from folk who share their testimony. But I want you to know and remind you of who God really is as a father this morning. Because maybe that's exactly what you need to hear. And this is where the Apostle John goes in this passage. We're going to be looking at verses 19 through 24. And as we consider what John is going to say here, we are reminded that he began this letter talking about the love of God. And he he was always concerned with his folk uh, who are reading this, that they would remember the love of God. In fact, just go back to the first verse of chapter 3. Look at verse 1. Verse 1 of 1 John 3. And then we'll go to verse 19. John wrote here, See how great a love the Father has bestowed upon us, that we should be called children of God, and such we are. And for this reason, the world does not know us because it does not know him. Have you ever felt like you don't belong here in the world? Have you ever just sensed that? Like wherever you are and you meet those who don't know Christ, there's no bond because they're not your brother and sister in Christ. They don't know the Lord. But John is reminding his readers here, I want you to think of how great the love of the Father is. How great is it? That he would make you and me children of God. Sinners headed for hell, nothing good in us. We deserve to die an eternal death. But God, out of his love as a father, said, I'm going to take you and I'm going to save you, cleanse you. I'm going to adopt you, make you my child. And robe you in the, in the righteousness of my son. 
And this is where John now picks up this thought here in verse 19. So if you'll go over to 19, let's pick it up there and read 19 and 20 together. John writes, We shall not know, uh, uh, we shall know by this that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him in whatever our heart condemns us. For God is greater than our heart and knows all things. Now, as you read that, it may be a little confusing, and you say, what is John really saying here? Well, John, notice he says at the beginning of verse 19, we shall know by this. What is that this? What is by this? Well, he's referring back to uh, his talk about love being expressed through the believer in good deeds, by loving one another. It's a, it was a mark of a, a true born-again Christian where we love with the love of God, the love of Christ. And so there in verse 19, John is saying, basically, when you are troubled by doubts and self-condemnation, don't focus on your sins and failures constantly. We've, we've all fallen short. We all fail the Lord as, as his children. We've all disobeyed along the way and displeased him. But John is trying to say here, focus on the times that God did use you, the times that you did love in his name as his child. Now, this doesn't mean to puff ourselves up, but John is trying to convey to his, uh, his readers that if you live in, in, in such a doubt and, uh, and then you, you get to a place where Satan just throws all these arrows at you and he, he attacks our mind. And what does he want us to do? He wants us always to doubt God's promises. He wants me to doubt what God says about who I am in Jesus Christ. And therefore, Satan wants to keep us, keep us in a permanent guilt trip so that we're constantly thinking as soon as we, if we do fail and we sin, and even though we confess, Satan says, ah, yeah, are you really a Christian? Look what you just did. And he's the accuser of the brethren. And he will try and attack our minds and get us to live in defeat and sometimes get us to the point where we wonder, am I really saved? And Lord, and, and then he has us in his grip. But John is trying to speak to the children of God here. And he says, by this, verse 19, by this love that is in you that you, you see in you, this is when you know you are of the truth. In other words, you're born again. You've received the gospel truly and shall assure our heart before him. That's where the assurance comes from. I get the assurance from for, uh, before him. I get the assurance in my heart when I realize 
that, yes, I am a child of God. And nothing, nothing can change that. And as we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to what? Forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So there we know that when we fail the Lord, we confess that sin, we come back into fellowship with him and we continue on seeking to please him as his child. But then verse 20, John writes, For God is greater than our heart and knows all things. What's John saying here? Verse 20. In whatever, what he, first he says, in whatever our heart condemns us, that's when we will have the assurance that we read about there in verse 19. We find that if, if we are condemning ourselves and Satan's adding to that and attacking us, we can have assurance that we are in the truth, that we are children of God because, uh, because of his promises and the, and the, the truth of, of our love being shown uh, in our lifetime throughout uh, on different occasions. But then the end of verse 20, for God is greater than our heart and he knows all things. He knows all things. Now, some have taken this particular verse to mean God's judgment of our hearts is more rigorous than our judgment for ourselves. But that's not what fits the context here. This is here, again, John is reaffirming the Father's love for you and for me. God is greater than my heart that lives in doubt and fear and I just and, and, and my unworthiness. And I feel sometimes maybe, Lord, uh, am I really going to heaven? I, you know, the sin I just committed. Can you really forgive me? We can't forgive ourselves. But here John says, I want you to understand who God is. And I think this goes uh, beautifully into the picture of God's restoring a wayward son or daughter. Perhaps some of you have a wayward son or daughter this morning. It's breaking your heart. A grandson, granddaughter, and, they, and, and they're breaking your heart. They've chosen to go a different path, and they're not following the Lord. Keep praying for them. Keep praying. I know there are some of you that can testify of the time that maybe you went far from the Lord, but he brought you back. You came back to him, and his arms were open as a loving father would. And he welcomed you back, and what he wanted to do and did do is restore you, restore you in your faith and restore you to service. And I want us to see this in John chapter 21. So if you'll turn to John 21 with me, the Gospel of John 21, familiar passage of restoration. But here's, and we'll pick it up at verse 15. Here is the account where Jesus has a one-on-one with Simon Peter. After his resurrection, he meets the disciples 
uh, along the Sea of Galilee there on the beach, had breakfast with them. And look at verse 15. Now we know what Peter did, right? How many times did Peter deny Christ? Three. That's right. So we will see a three here. Three uh, words that the Lord Jesus says to Simon. Verse 15. So when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Now, some people wonder, have wondered, always wondered, what, what does he mean by these? What is Jesus talking about? Well, there's, there are two thoughts here. One is, do you love me? Peter was fishing at the time, remember? And so Jesus may have been saying, pointing to the fish and, and, and saying, do you love that job more than me? Do you love fishing for, for those fish more than, you know, do you love them more than me, your job? Or he may have been saying it about the other disciples that were there, pointing to the other disciples, saying, do you love me more than they love me? He's testing Peter on where his love is, what level his love is. So he says, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, Tend my lambs. He said to him again a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, shepherd my sheep. See what Jesus is doing? He's restoring Peter to ministry, which means He's trying to get Peter to understand that the Father forgave him. The Father loves him, and that love never changes. And then verse 17, he said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he had said to him the third time, there's the three, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, Tend my sheep. Tend my sheep. Now, as you, many of you have studied this passage before, you probably, this will probably come to mind that you've heard this before. When Jesus uses the word love, he uses the Greek word agapeo which is the ultimate love of God. This is the love that that was not in the Greek language for the most part. No one ever talked about it, wrote about it, because it it was something that that, uh, just uh, more or less showed up in the Scriptures because when, when it spoke of God's love. And so it's the supreme highest way to love somebody. It's the love that caused Jesus Christ to be nailed to the cross in my place. That was a demonstration of agape love. And so Jesus is saying, do you love me enough? How much do you love me? 
And he would, he would really love to hear Peter say, Lord, I agapeo you as a, yes, I do. But it's interesting that when you look at the Greek word that Peter used, he used the Greek word phileo. Phileo. There are different words for love in the Greek language, which are different levels of love. Okay? There's one physical, then there's the phileo. Now, the phileo that Peter used this word, that refers to a friendship love, a, a brotherly love. When I say the word phileo, what, what rings a bell there? Phil, Philly, Phileo, Phil. Yes, I heard someone say it. Philadelphia. Of course, you know that's where I came from. Born and raised. And, um, and so we are a city of brotherly love, as you know. Oh, boy. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Philly has a reputation, as you know. Anything but a city of love. But, but that, so that's where the word Philadelphia came from, using, starting with the word phileo, that brotherly love. You see, Peter still felt so guilty about his sin, still felt so guilty about what he did to the Lord Jesus in his denial of him, that he... He basically, when Jesus said, do you agape me? Peter, in no way, after he looked at his sin, he said, there's no way I can tell you, Lord, that, that I love you with the supreme love that you love me with. But I, 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 I love you like a brother. And he said it. He used the word, Peter used it three times. He could not bring himself to say, Lord, this is how much I love you, because he knew his past. And he figured, Lord, if I can't, I can't say agape to you because I'm afraid I will fail you again. And so he doesn't. And I'm sure in Peter's mind, what is, it, what is he thinking? Well, I might as well head back to my uh, fishing boat. You know, there's no way the Lord can use me. There's no way. How is he going to use me? You know, I'm, I'm ruined. And yet, what did Jesus say to him? Even though Peter could not tell him, I love you with the highest kind of love, Jesus said, Peter, I'm not looking for the best, the perfect love for me from you, but you love me enough that I want to, you to serve me again. I want to use you to go feed my sheep and care for my lambs. Isn't that the most beautiful love? And that, my friends, this morning is the love of the Father that he has for you and for me. And you're sitting here this morning, and maybe your mind is going through this past week. And you go, oh, boy, did I just live a perfect life, huh? No, I don't think we're thinking that. You're thinking of the times you feel you failed the Lord. 
And I want to encourage your heart this morning that the Father's love never changes for you. God's agape love never changes. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And when you have failed Him, and you come to Him and you've confessed that sin, you call it what God calls it as sin. And you come before Him in a humble, with a humble heart. He will then forgive you. He guarantees to forgive you by the blood of Christ. And he wants to still use you. And maybe this morning, you kind of feel like you're on a shelf. Like God doesn't need, can't, doesn't need me anymore. Probably can't use me anymore. Because I'm just not good enough. He wants to use each and every one of you in some way to minister to the family of God, to love the brethren. Turn with me to Romans chapter 8. Let's go to Romans 8 together, and then we'll go back to 1 John. Because I want you to see this passage where the Apostle Paul wrote concerning this love. Romans 8, we'll pick it up at verse 31. Romans 8, 31. Paul uh, Paul writes, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He who did not spare his own son. Is that the greatest love? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How will he not also with him, with Jesus, Freely give us all things. Who will, who will bring a charge against God's elect? Who's going to bring a charge against you? You're his child. God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who, condem- who, is the one who condemns then? Christ Jesus is he who died. Yes, rather, who was raised. Who is at the right hand of God. And what's he doing now? who also intercedes for us. Do you understand what that means? That Jesus is at the right hand right now in heaven of God the Father, and one of his ministries is he's interceding for you as your lawyer before the Father. So that when Satan, the accuser of the brethren, comes and says, Ah, God, look at your child, Larry, over there. You see what he just did? You know, you call, you're calling him your son? There's no way. He can't be forgiven. Look at him. And Jesus then intercedes and says, This is my child. This one belongs to me. I paid the price with my own blood for that child. I redeemed him. And Satan cannot accuse anymore. Because Jesus intercedes for us daily before the Father. Isn't that wonderful? That he intercedes and he, and he, as we confess, he forgives. And so he goes on, look at verse 35. Paul then says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword... 
just as it is written, for thy sake we are being put to death all day long. We were considered as sheep to be slaughtered. But in all this, we overwhelmingly conquer through him who what? Who loved us. And now he makes this proclamation in verse 38. For I, and, and I want each and every one of us this morning to be able to say this. I want you, dear beloved brother and sister in Christ, I want you to be able to say as you leave here this morning, I am convinced that my Father loves me no matter what. And he will use me as I confess my sin and stay in close fellowship with him. But he wants us to be convinced. This is what Paul says. I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities, here's Satan and his angels, demons, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing, nothing, nothing can separate us from that love. You may be feeling like you're distant from the Lord, like you wonder, you just feel maybe like he stopped loving you. My friends, this is his promise book. He's saying to you this morning, I love you with an everlasting love. And I will never let you go. There's nothing in this world, in this universe, that can separate you from my love. Nothing. And then one day he will take you to heaven and you will, he will reveal to you the ultimate love. That he will glorify your body and you will be like the Lord Jesus Christ. My friend, this morning, I want you to be able to say, I am convinced. I am convinced in this. Turn back with me now, if you would then, to 1 John 3. As we go back here, let's look at the rest of the verses in this chapter. 1 John 3, and now we pick it up at verse 21. John goes on, and then he says, Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, again, it's that false condemnation that we come down ourselves, we don't believe God can forgive us, maybe he stopped loving us, We have confidence before God or assurance before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do the things that are pleasing in his sight. And this is his commandment. That first of all, we believe in the name of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And secondly, here it is, love one another just as he commanded us. And the one who keeps his commandments abides in him and he in him. And we know by this that he abides in us by the spirit whom 
he has given us. What John's saying here, he's saying that we can have confidence in these two things. One is that God will hear our prayer because we're his child if we are seeking to live an obedient life and obey his word and love one another. And then we have that abiding spirit in us, the spirit of God, who will confirm in us that we are his child, first of all, and secondly, that we are walking in close fellowship with him. We have that assurance. John wants us to know that if we are God's children, we have that kind of confident access to the Father's presence every day. You can go in prayer before the Father. And if I am walking in his will, I'm not perfect, I fall, I sin, but I confess, and, I, and I'm seeking to walk in obedience by loving the brethren, What's he saying here? He's saying, whatever, verse 22, whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments. Now, some people have taken that verse and said, whoa, great, I can ask anything, God's going to give it to me. If we ask anything, for anything. But some people have taken this and made God into a genie, like Aladdin's lamp. And figure, well, I'll throw up a prayer. He'll hear me. I'll get what I want. How many times have you heard that preached in many of the television preachers who will go around and, and tell you that, that you should be rich, that you should have everything. You shouldn't have a problem. You shouldn't be sick. God will answer your prayer, but you don't have enough faith. That's the message we hear today. John is not writing that kind of a message. That's not true. If we ask anything according to his what? His will, he hears us. According to his will. That's the important part when we're talking about prayer. You know, John is reflecting here upon the words of the Lord Jesus in the upper room in John 14, when Jesus said this, whatever you ask in my name, that will I do, so that my Father may be glorified in the Son. And then he said this to his disciples in that upper room. And John's referring to that. If you ask anything, if you ask me anything in my, what? Name. I will do it. What did he mean by in my name? It's nevertheless not my will, but thy will be done. Jesus, the the Lord's Prayer, right? Um, And thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And Jesus is talking about coming to the Lord in prayer with a heart 
of obedience and a heart of willingness to say, Lord, I want what you want. Here's a request. But if it doesn't line up with your will and what you want from my life, then, then I understand if you choose to not answer. We leave the answer to God. So that's what John is trying to say here. Okay, this is the this is the concerning the intimate fellowship with the Lord. And then verse drop down there to uh, verse twenty four. And the one who keeps his commandments abides in him, and he in him. That that statement there, and one who keeps his commandments abides in him, and he in me. Now some preachers have taken that. And said, well, that means that uh, as long as I'm obeying the commandments, God's commandments, it says there, well, then, as long as I'm obeying, uh, obeying, keeping his commandments, the one who uh, keeps the commandments, well, then I'll abide in him and God will abide in me. Which means if I stop uh, doing some of the commandments, I'm not a Christian anymore. And people have used this to say you can lose your salvation. But this is not what John is writing about. We've talked about this before. That this is talking when John uses the word dwell here or abide. Some translations you may have says remain in you. These things remain or abide in me or he in you. It's referring to abiding fellowship with the Lord. As a, if you recall growing up, and Dad was around, and he, he told you to do something, right? You disobeyed. You disobeyed, and then uh, what happened at that point? Were you real chummy with Dad? Did you disobey him and then go, okay, Dad, are we going fishing today? Wait, hey, let's go to the ball game. You think dad's pleased with disobedience? No. And God, in his love, as a loving father, will discipline his children. He'll discipline me if I stay in disobedience and do not confess my sin. He will hold me accountable as a child, like a loving father should. But what happens? Fellowship is broken. The father and the son are not close together in communion with one another until the son, what, says, I'm sorry. Dad, I'm sorry. And then the father says, I forgive you. And what happens then? They're close once again. That's what John is talking about here. That's what he's talking about. When I am walking in the word, seeking to abide, uh, to live according to God's word and love the brethren as Jesus commanded me to, I will have the closest fellowship with my heavenly father I could have. It's always going, he's always going to be ready to forgive. And again, I can come close to him and walk closely with him. A minister by the name of Fred Craddock was lecturing at Yale University. And uh, he shared this story. 
One summer, he was in Gatlingburg, Tennessee, taking a short vacation with his wife. One day, they found a quiet little restaurant where they looked forward to a private meal, just the two of them. But see, people knew him, so uh, he was very recognizable. But while they were waiting for their meal, they noticed a distinguished-looking white-haired man moving from table to table, visiting guests. Well, Craddock whispered to his wife, I hope he doesn't come over here. Did you ever have that at a restaurant? He didn't want the man to intrude on their privacy, their quiet meal together. But the man did. He showed up, sat down at the table. And he goes, where are you guys from? Craddock said, Oklahoma. Oh, splendid state. I hear, although I've never been there, it's wonderful. What do you do for a living? And Dr. Craddock said, well, I teach homiletics at the graduate seminary of Phillips University. And I'm a minister. Oh, he says, the man says, so you teach preachers, do you? Well, I've got a story I want to tell you. And then he went on. And now Dr. Craddock says he groaned inwardly and says, oh, no, here comes another preacher story. Like many of the other ones. The man stuck out his hand and said, I'm Ben Hooper. I was born not far from here, across the mountains. My mother wasn't married when I was born, so I had a hard time. My dad disappeared. When I started to go to school, my classmates, my classmates had a name for me, and it wasn't a very nice name. I used to go off by myself at recess and during lunchtime because the taunts of my playmates cut so deeply. What was worse was going downtown on a Sunday afternoon and feeling every eye burning a hole through me. They were all wondering, who's his real father? When I was about 12 years old, he says, a new preacher came to our church. I would always go in late and slip out early. But one day the preacher said, after he said the benediction, he caught me afterwards, and he, I felt like his eyes were on me. And as I got to the door, he had beat me there. And he put his hand on my shoulder. I looked up at the preacher. He was looking right at me, and this is what he said. Didn't know him. He said, who are you, son? Whose boy are you? I felt that old weight coming on. It was like a big black cloud. Even the preacher was putting me down. As he looked down at me, studying my face, he began to smile with a big smile of recognition. And he said, wait a minute. I know you who, who you are. I see the family resemblance. You are a son of God. You are a son of God. And with that, he slapped me on the back and said, Boy, you got a great inheritance. Now go claim it. That old man looked across the table at Fred Craddock and said, 
That was the most important single sentence ever said to me. With that, he smiled. The man smiled and shook uh, the Craddock's hand and his wife and moved to another table. And suddenly, Fred Craddock remembered something. On two occasions, the people of Tennessee had elected to be governor Ben Hooper, that very man. You are a child of God today. You are a son and daughter of the king. Do not forget that. Hold fast to that. And go love one another and seek to live in his commandments. And he will bless you and he'll give you boldness as you don't allow the enemy to attack and make you feel worthless. Let's pray together. As we bow this morning and close, dear friend, if you're here without Christ, you have never trusted him for salvation. You don't know what it means to have a loving father, a loving heavenly father. Would you come to the Father now by Jesus Christ? You will know God's love, the greatest love ever shown, as you receive Jesus as your Savior. If you believe that Jesus died on that cross for you, took the punishment for your sin, and rose from the dead, you shall be saved and become a child of God today. Right now, if you've never done it, would you make that decision now? Just pray a simple prayer like this with me now. Say, dear Lord Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. And I'm sorry for my sin. I believe you died on that cross for me. You took the punishment for my sin. Come into my heart right now and wash my sins away. I receive you today as my very own Savior. Thank you for dying for me. And rising from the dead, Lord Jesus. And with head still bowed, if you gave your heart to Christ and you prayed a prayer like that, you just told him that you are accepting him by faith. You are now born again spiritually. You're born into God's family. You are forever now his child, forgiven of your sins. And you are robed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Welcome to the family. Dear Christian, if you need to make a commitment right now to the Lord, make that commitment. If you've come with a heavy heart and you felt so unworthy, you feel like God hasn't forgiven you for something, would you say now in your heart, Lord, I am convinced of your love, and I am convinced that I'm your child. And now I will believe and accept the truth that you have forgiven me. Would you do that, Christian? Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for speaking to our hearts once again. Lord, I pray that, Father, we might walk in your love and we might walk as children of the King, seeking to be obedient to thy word. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.